You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. Hey everybody, what up? How's everyone doing today? Buenos dias, buenas noches, buenas tardes, buongiorno, ni hao, konnichiwa, motherfuckers. All of the greetings and all of the languages, I appreciate you for tuning into this podcast today. My name is Jason Almi, and this is Abacabu Cafe, the English language Kimagure Orange Road podcast on the whole internet. Today, I'm going to be talking about Television episode 29, entitled, Don't Cry, Jingoro, The Heat of Young Love. This episode originally aired October 19th of 1987. It was directed by Morikawa Shigeru, which is a name I have repeated many times now on this podcast as director. He has worked on episode 7, A Spark-Colored Kiss, episode 11, Don't Ring the Wedding Bell, episode 16, Madoka Saw a UFO, He directed OVA2, Hawaiian Suspense, everyone's favorite. Also, most recently, Morikawa directed TV episode 23, and that was the one where Kasuga daydreams of domestic violence. So we can say that with Spark Colored Kiss, Morikawa's work on Orange Road began with a really kind of important, thematically important episode a grounded episode, and it has only gotten progressively sillier with Don't Ring the Wedding Bell. Okay, a lot of references to The Graduate, but I'm cool with that. I went to film school. Episode 16, Madoka Saw a UFO. That could happen too. Some references to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That's pretty cool in my books as well. Hawaiian Suspense is a pretty big departure. Uh, Episode 23, Costco Dreams of Domestic Violence. That's a, That was kind of a silly episode, too. But this episode takes the cake. His trajectory, Morikawa's trajectory, with his directorial efforts with the Orange Road series, has started in a very serious, very grounded vein, at least for this program. But it has gotten 
really out of control. And we're going to talk all about that today, how, how just wild this episode is. This episode was written by Terada Kenji. Terada Kenji has now written 14 episodes so far that we've talked about up till now, including this one. So he's at a little bit more than 50% of the episodes written. I'm not going to rattle off all 14 episodes. If you want to know them, check the show notes. First, Manami gets her own episode last week. Now, Jingoro. Yet my man's Kasuga Takashi can't get any love? No, 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 no. Takashi can't possibly be interesting. He's a non-powered widower trying to raise three willful teenagers with ESP. Nope, he's not interesting. We need an episode all about a cat going through puberty. That's what we need. We open with some pans across a few still images as Kasuga reads Sancho the Bailiff to try to get Kazuya to sleep. So first of all, I fell asleep watching Sancho the Bailiff too, okay? We all do. The first time you watch Sancho the Bailiff, you're going to fall asleep. That's just what happens. Having a hard time getting to bed? Pop in Sancho the Bailiff. I promise. Works every time. It's cheaper than an ambient addiction, guys. Second, Kasuga reading Sancho the Bailiff is obvious foreshadowing to Jingoro's conflict in this episode. Children in Sancho the Bailiff vow to find their mother after they're separated. It doesn't get much more obvious than that. Now, Kazuya keeps Kasuga up all night playing video games. Kasuga's just sitting there watching all night. I don't understand why he couldn't sleep while Kazuya played, but he's up all night, and that means he's got bags under his eyes. His eyes are red. He's looking like shit the next day at school, and he's got to go to the nurse's station so that Shikaru can do something about that. So there's something about this conversation regarding Jingoro reaching sexual maturity that reminds Kasuga and Shikaru that they also have genitals. We cut to a slightly longer shot with the bed looming very large in the foreground. The bed takes up the entire lower portion of the screen, and Kasuga and Shikaru are some feet away from it. Then we cut back to Shikaru and Kasuga's point of view as they are looking at the, the bed in the nurse's office. But then cuts back to the characters' faces. They're blushing. It tells us without any dialogue needed that they both noticed the bed and they're both realizing its recreational application. That's Furimuite, my darling. Look back, my darling. If you want to Google that one, look back, my darling. That's a little bit of insert music. I believe they've played it before in an earlier episode, but they're going to play this one again because it's really the only insert song that's framed from a, a Shikaru perspective. Most of the songs throughout all of the various Orange Road soundtracks really they don't sound as if they're coming out of Shikaru's mouth, the character. They sound more as if they're coming from Ayukawa or, or Kasuga. But this is like the Shikaru song, and they're playing it as an insert song here because apparently Shikaru assumes that they're about to smash at school of all places. That's weird. I mean, that's beyond even me. She goes out, of course, to freshen up because she thinks they're about to get it on in the nurse's room. And, and she's like assuming that Jingoro is a pretense for Kasuga broaching the topic of his sexual desire for her. And she's so flattered that he desires her, that he wants her, that she's all in. 
So she's freshening up. It makes sense if you're going to be kissing somebody. But then she swallows the water she was gargling with. And that's the first time I ever threw up while watching a cartoon. And I've seen La Blue Girl. Yusaku has apparently been waiting in the bushes all day just to see Shikaru walk by. He's watching Shikaru. And you could tell by the look on his face that he's also disgusted to see her swallow that gargle water. You don't swallow gargle water, people. Don't do it. Now, Shikaru has a fantasy at this point. We get to see the inside of Shikaru's brain for once. It's not very frequent, but we have seen a Shikaru fantasy before in episode 10. She imagines being ill and Kasuga comes to visit her. So this is sort of a similar um, internal a fantasy that Shikaru is having. She's playing out in her mind. And um, this is probably the stylistic moment of the episode. There's no real cutaway to her fantasy imagery. Instead, her fantasy blows into reality from off screen. These uh, petals enter the screen uh, just from the left of the screen. So despite it being the fall, these, these like spring flower petals blow in and they sweep across the, the screen and they, they obscure everything for just long enough for it to transition smoothly into this fantasy scenario. Her, her fantasy is like pushing aside her reality. The school background disappears. It becomes this nondescript daydream. Suddenly, we're looking at everything with the soft focus. That's a, a lens technique used in film to soften things, often used in the classic Hollywood era, often used on the uh, female stars of the classic Hollywood era to give them this almost uh, angelic radiance. And so it's used here uh, to, to show that this is kind of like a feminine daydream. And so more flowers of various colors are blowing past the screen between Shikaru and the camera. And then we see Shikaru as this kind of like almost like a Greek nymph wearing a tiny toga, half floating, half flying through this flowery dreamscape. It feels like the filmmakers are trying to give us the image of this romantic schoolgirl fantasy about losing her virginity on racehorse steroids. This thing's all geeked up on the roids. Shikaru floats very close to the camera for a tighter shot as the toga comes off. It's actually hard to notice that she's undressing, except she's not really undressing. It's like one of those anime things where the clothes just fly off like they have a mind of their own. And we cut to Shikaru's feet touching down on the non-ground. There's no floor there. She's still floating in this ether. And then we cut to a fairly long shot. The camera's positioned fairly far back. We can see the entirety of her and Kasuga standing together from head to toe. We can see their entire figures and they're completely nude. And this is where Western viewers like myself begin to get an idea of the differences between what can be shown on Japanese television versus American. Orange Road was a Monday night primetime show on a big station. To give my fellow Western listeners a little context, by comparison, a big American network like NBC was airing shows like Cheers and The Golden Girls during primetime during the same year. And for sure, Cheers and The Golden Girls contain adult humor, definitely. But Despite the soft focus and distance from the camera, we can still plainly and clearly see Kasuga's crack and Shikaru's covering her breasts, but Herman's pubis is right out there. Don't Google that on your work computer, okay, people? I'm not trying to seem overly puritanical here. I'm noting this for two reasons. First, these are young teenagers here. 
Kosuga's 15, Shikaru is 13. Second, this is one of the most direct and open sexual fantasy sequences in all 48 episodes of this television series. And it's Shikaru, not Hata, not Komatsu, not Kasuga, that's having the fantasy. We get a closer shot as Kasuga begins to embrace Shikaru. Now it's too close to see their genitals, so those are below the, the camera, off screen. As they embrace, we dissolve back to the real world. Overall, this fantasy is very unambiguously about Shikaru losing her virginity to Kasuga. She's clearly imagining that going down. At the same time, it's all lead up. There's no act. So that keeps it tasteful, keeps it appropriate for television, but it also keeps the show on the rails thematically. These are teenagers, and this show is about the transition from childhood to adulthood, the loss of innocence, and the stripping away of naivety that accompanies that growth. So this is still very appropriate fantasy for her to have, but it's notable because Kasuga has plenty of fantasies about Ayukawa, sure, but none of them are this openly sexual. And uh, we don't see any of Ayukawa's fantasies. We really don't see this level of detail inside Ayukawa's brain. She has to remain mysterious to us. We can't see this type of thing going on between her ears. So at the end of her fantasy, we cut right back to Shikaru, and she's like in the full throes of her fantasy. And she's drawn very unflatteringly, actually, kind of goofy. Her eyes are all scrunched up. Her mouth is really huge and open wide. Her front teeth are overly prominent. And I think it's meant to be a juxtaposition with the softer, more idyllic fantasy imagery that she's having up in her brain, and it jars us back into reality. And so the payoff for this whole scene is Yusaku somehow beating Shikaru back to the nurse's office, kicking Kasuga's ass, and leaving before Shikaru arrives. All to preserve Kasuga's virginity. Because that's his true love. Once again, Yusaku funnels his tumultuous feelings of sexual confusion into violence. Toward the one he loves, I might add. And I love that this entire scene was pointless, just for fun, it's not going to come up again in this episode. It's Morikawa smoking crack. That's what it is. So early on in this episode, it becomes obvious that Jingoro is something of a canvas that each character can kind of paint their own feelings on and then interpret as something Jingoro needs. Shikaru and Kasuga are thinking uh, Jingoro is horning, so they're seeing the open bed in the nurse's office. Shikaru is quite obviously thinking about sex herself. So, of course, they're thinking Jingaro needs to get laid, right? I mean, when your cat doesn't feel good, what do you do? You take him to the vet? We try to get him laid. In my family, we try to get our cats laid. Ayuko instead focuses on how Jingaro must be feeling lonely all day. And her delivery of these lines make it obvious that she's speaking of her own experience. Kasuga notices Ayuko was hinting, and the camera zooms in slowly on his face to show that he's registering her dual meaning. Once again, Komatsu and Hata prove to be pretty shitty friends and tremendous scumbags. They let Kasuga take the blame for peeping, even though he wasn't even into it. He was just kind of following them along. He may not have even known 
what they were doing. I mean, obviously they were looking in through a window like creepers, but he may not have realized that there were uh, girls changing in the locker room on the other side of that window. He's just yapping to them as they're going about their perverted business, possibly criminal business. They need to be locked up. But there's not really a lot of uh, consequence to that either. He gets a bunch of stuff thrown at him. He takes the blame for for peeping, but it doesn't come up again in the episode after he gets a whole bunch of stuff thrown at his head. No real consequence for the rest of the episode. It's meant to be funny, I guess. They pin this shit on him. Casca does decide to try to hook Jingaro up with a female kitty cat. He reflects on Ayukawa saying that it's normal to want to be with someone. It's almost as if he's trying to hook up Jingaro for Ayukawa's sake, as if it's going to help her. Meanwhile, Ayukawa and Shikaru are hanging out with the female cat that Ayukawa took in. Kasuga met the cat at Abakabu in a previous scene a few minutes ago, but I don't know why he didn't think of that cat first. They're going to go do a whole dating show in the local park instead. Shikaru suggests naming Ayukawa's cat Kyosuke. Ayukua initially shoots it down, reminding Shikaru that it's a girl cat, boy name, but a moment later, she thinks maybe she doesn't mind that idea so much. Maybe Kyosuke would be a good name for the cat. That also goes nowhere. We don't see if if they ever give the cat a name because that cat's not sticking around too much longer anyway. Spoiler alert. There's some highly stylized animation of Jingaro in this episode also. There's one shot where Jingaro's head is drawn as disconnected from the rest of his body, like in shock, literally blows his top. It looks like the animation of the Canadian characters in South Park. His head is separated at the jaw, and the top piece is fully separated from the rest of his like lower mandible and, and the rest of his body. So Jingaro over here is proving that beggars can be choosers. Like There's two dozen cats lined up to meet him, but he's completely unimpressed with all of them. There's the use of a shutter closing and reopening to transition between shots in this montage. And I think it's an interesting transition. It's a appropriate transition for a show that has a consistent photography motif. Of course, that doesn't work. The lineup of kitties doesn't work. So, of course, what's your next move? Get Kazuya to swap places with Jingaro. What could it hurt? We're going to find out what's really bothering Jingaro by putting him into a five-year-old's body and see if he's got a few words for us. See if he's a little bit more loquacious in a human body. Maybe he can talk about his problems. Kasuga goes straight for the body swap. It's like he forgot Kazuya can read minds. I don't know, maybe it doesn't work on animals. He can only read human minds. But if you're expecting Jingaro to be able to verbalize what his problem is by putting his soul inside of a human body, I would think that maybe you'd be able to read his mind or Kazuya would be able to read his mind. That seems like a more reasonable first step to me. But it's obvious that the filmmakers just really need this body swap with the cat thing to happen. So they go right for it. This is a silly episode. I I mentioned earlier, Komatsu and Hata even do the boom, 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 boom thing with Kurumi when Manami wonders what's wrong with Kasuga. It's like nobody could tell what's wrong with him. Like, ah, we all think he's a weirdo at this point. Of course, once uh, the body swap has been completed, Jingaro can talk because that's 
Yeah, every cat can talk. When you switch him into a human body, he's in Kazuya's body, so he can talk. They're really making a mess of this, though, because when Jingoro traded bodies by way of the magic rope, the mechanic of the body swap was different, but the results were the same. However, neither the fish nor Jingoro made any known use of Kasuga's anatomical structures to produce human speech during that episode. In fact, during that OVA, we see Kasuga, Kasuga's body, with Jingoro inside it, curled up just like a cat on top of Kasuga Takashi's lap while Takashi pets him. He doesn't use speech in that time. But here, in this episode, Jingoro is just chatting it up with Master. I think it does really help to further personify Jingoro. Over the course of the series to date, he's already been given a lot of agency for a cat. But now he can actually put thoughts into words and seemingly adapted to being human quite readily. It's also here that we finally learn what his issue is. He thinks the cat that Ayukawa found earlier in the episode is his mother. Apparently, the cat Ayukawa found actually belongs to a gang leader who lives in a junkyard. Or maybe that's just his gang office and he spends most of his days there. For some reason, Ayukawa and Shikaru accompany some punks to a junkyard. Sounds safe. You're going to get hepatitis at least, bare minimum. You're getting hepatitis from that trip but not before calling Master so that Master could offhandedly tell Kasuga where they were headed. What's more 80s than a junkyard with all the cars piled up and shit? I feel like every cartoon and movie had a junkyard in it in the 80s, and now I haven't seen a junkyard since like 1991. But apparently the punks are accusing Ayukawa of having stolen the cat. Ayukawa is pissed at being accused. She's jumping on the hood of their car, pulling out overly shiny guitar picks. This episode is a hot mess, and right now I'm here for it. Kasuga, Jingoro, Kazuya, Kazuya and Jingoro's body, Jingoro and Kazuya's body, it's all very confusing. They're all running to the junkyard as this is going down. Jingoro has a flashback of being a newborn baby kitten and his mother licking him lovingly, and that's all really cute, but... There's about to be a fight still, so we cut back to Ayukua beating the shit out of the junkyard gang. The junkyard gang leader looks like a mid-80s Wolverine from X-Men with that haircut. He even looks like a damn cat. He's got a cat nose and cat fangs, little cat fangs and shit. Kasuga shows up right as Ayukua KTFOs him, and he's a giant. There's no explanation for why he's eight feet tall and looks like a damn cat. It's a show about teenagers with ESP. Just go with it. Jingoro, now back in his own body, begins to speak cat, and they actually give him subtitles. Like they subtitle him meowing. <coughs> Jingoro leaps in slow motion into his mother's arms as she turns and walks away. His face registers this heartbreak as it gets closer and closer to the camera, and then everything becomes wavy. All of the lines and colors that comprise Jingoro. It's almost psychedelic. And then we cut to a few minutes later. And it's, it's again, it's another example of highly stylized animation of Jingoro. And we learn that that wasn't even his mom. This whole episode, he's trying to get at this cat that he thinks is his mom. And he was wrong. It's just a cat that looked like his mom. So at this point, I'm feeling kind of bad for old Jingoro. He's bummed out. He spent this whole episode trying to reunite with his mom. He finds out this other cat's not even his mom. And now he's like sitting on top of the hill all by himself. 
you know, like a person would, all depressed, watching the sunset, just thinking, woe is me. That wasn't my mama after all. I'd miss my mom too. I'm feeling bad for him. He's my daughter's favorite character after all. Ayuko must be feeling bad for him as well. And Shikaru wants to cuddle Jingoro also. And then Kasuga says he's feeling a little envious of Jingoro and it's all over. The craziest episode of Orange Road to this point. As this episode ends, I got to ask myself, what balance of main story progress and side story exploration do we accept before an episode becomes all filler? To me, it's not a question of which episodes are absolutely essential viewing. Any television show has episodes that you could skip and still understand the overarching narrative. For me, a story isn't filler if it helps to explore the themes of the show, even if it doesn't advance that overarching narrative. Something like last week's character study of Manami. It helped to develop the themes of self-discovery. That transition from childhood to adulthood. What kind of adult do you want to be? It also helped portray Kasuga's growth into more of an adult, into a man. There was thoughtful imagery and symbolism. So I don't consider the last episode filler. This episode might be filler. I am beyond convinced that this episode was the product of some very serious drug abuse. This episode single-handedly proves that cocaine abuse was rampant amongst Japanese animation studios in the 1980s. There was some fun imagery in this episode. I like the psychedelic Jingoro. I like Shikaru's fantasy. That was so silly and just over the top. It really felt like they were lampooning that type of thing, and they nailed it in that case. But at the end of the day, this is an episode for those of us who are dedicated to loving Orange Road in its totality. It's a quirky, hot mess of an episode, not one that I would point a new viewer toward, but certainly one that adds character to the core of war. And I can't believe it took me 30-something episodes to figure out that rhyme. Core, core of war. Core of war. Of war. I'm doing my best, people. And if you want to do your best, why don't you hook me up? Head on over to patreon.com slash team almy. Become a patron. Support Team Almy Studios. We bring you this fine podcast as well as a few others. You'll get access to one of those other podcasts. It's called Shit Happens When You Party Naked. It's all of my most wild and inappropriate thoughts over the course of 45-minute episodes. It's a Patreon exclusive. You'll have full access to that. If you join the Patreon, I'll also send you stuff in the mail. I send everybody something. I don't care what corner of the globe you live on. I will send you things to Antarctica. I don't care. Also, we got tons of uh, additional content that I like to throw up there. We're going to be doing analysis of the uh, pilot episode quite soon. Also, I would encourage you guys to please check out Creatures of the Night. That's a Team Elmy co-production. I will link Creatures of the Night in the show notes. It's like a kooky conspiracy theory paranormal thing. I mean, we just, we do shrooms and play Ouija board. We don't get political, so don't worry about that. It's, it's just dedicated to having fun and being a total weirdo. Um, which you couldn't, if you couldn't tell, I am, I am one. I want to thank you guys all very, very much. My patrons, thank you very, very much for, for being there. 
Also, if you're listening to this episode for the very first time, I don't know why you started with this one, but I love you too. Please subscribe. Please leave a review and please enjoy. I got more Earl Knight, more brand new Earl Knight. So please enjoy this amazing Earl Knight remix. I'm going to leave the link to his YouTube in the show notes. So please go check out my man's Earl Knights on YouTube. Say what up to him. I'll see you guys next week.